I'm going to read from Scripture. Carl's asked me to do that, and I'll pray for you and then hand over. Mark 3, we are in this morning. Mark 3, I'm going to read 1, 2, 6, and then skip to verse 13. Another time he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shrilled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shield hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked him, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Skipping to verse 13. Jesus went up on the mountainside and called him those he wanted and they came to him. He appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. I'm just going to pray for Carl now as he opens God's word. Lord, we pray that Carl, Nikki, and their family will be so encouraged and affirmed and blessed this morning. I pray that they'd walk out of this building just so grateful of how you've used them and how their sacrifice has been so fruitful for the kingdom. We also pray for them that they know just incredible blessing and closeness in this next season. We thank you they want to continue to be part of this church, but we pray as they have a different role and capacity that you would just allow them to be so shaped and led by what you're calling them into and it'd be so exciting and right and suitable for them in this season and we pray for now as Carl speaks we pray that it would be a word for this time and this moment and we pray you'd give him the grace he needs to preach well and to speak your word into our hearts and minds in Jesus name we ask amen amen so if you have a bible it'd be brilliant if you'd leave it open at Mark's gospel in in chapter three um I think there is a sense in which, of course, there's, there, in any role, in any job, in, uh, particularly in a church, it's way more than a job. Um, it, in fact, it's not a job, although, as I said last night, you did pay me, so that was good. Um, it, it, it's, it's a calling, and it's a life. You know, you live a life. You go after it. And, um, and there have been, of course, sacrifices, but there have been many, many more joys, and it's been fantastic. There have been some successes, and there have been some failures. There have been some things that work and things that don't work. And, uh, and Nikki and I have had the privilege of walking through a lot of things with a lot of people in this room. And so I'm trying not to look out too much because I might get emotional around some of the things that, that we've been through with you. And we believe that God has something for us. But we also therefore believe that God has something new for this church, which is really exciting. Um, because the God who provokes us into things is the God who always underwrites the things that he provokes. Is that true? You know, he's never, he's never going to call you to something and go, ha-ha, work that out. He's going to call you to something and then somehow he's going to provide the wherewithal to make the whatever he's called you to happen, if that makes sense. So Mark chapter 3, I, I've told you before that there's, there's a guy in my life, I don't see him very often, but whenever I see him, he's a, he's a big Glaswegian guy, so I, I'm going to do an accent in just a moment, prepare yourself. There's a, he's a big Glaswegian guy, and whenever I meet him, he says, big man, disrupt yourself, big man, disrupt yourself, big man. And, um, and I, there's a sense for me in which I've kind of been obedient to what I felt was a call of God to disrupt myself. 
Um, you know, the, the sense in which you can keep doing some stuff or you can change some stuff. And I feel like that's an, actually a word for us as a congregation, disrupt yourself. Or maybe more powerfully, allow the Spirit of God to disrupt your hearts and lives in a season of disruption. I mean, you would have had to have buried your head in the sand for a very long period of time not to have worked out that our culture and our society and our country and our world is in a season of disruption right now. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen and anyone trying to put their life or their mortgage on what is going to happen is foolish at this moment in time because what we have learned over the last few years is there is always a disruption around the corner. And, and it, there is disruption in people's lives. And Jesus was highly disruptive. Have you noticed that? I mean, following Jesus must have been the most wonderful journey, but also the most disruptive journey that you could ever have. I mean, he was always calling out truth in people, and he was always disturbing people. And at the end of the reading today, Jesus calls his followers to him. Notice this in verse 14. Really profound statement that, that, that it's easy to miss because this is one of this, the narrative passages where, you know, we don't often preach on this, but it says, He appointed 12 that they might be with him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him, that they then, then might speak about him and then they might push the darkness back like him, but he gathered people to himself that they might be with him, that they might learn from him, and it was highly disruptive for them. Everything about their lives changed. They couldn't go back and be the same again. Because they'd been with Jesus and they were being with Jesus and the being with Jesus meant that they began to look like Jesus and everything around them began to change. Disrupt yourself. This is huge. I get to be with Jesus. That's the thing. It's not the thing that helps me do the thing. It's the thing. This church gets to be a community of people who live with Jesus. And as you live with Jesus, the life of Jesus flows through you to the people that Jesus loves around you. And it's always going to be disruptive. Expect it. So here's the thought for this morning. And it's a hard thought. And I want to teach it as gently as possible. But here it is. When do for him eclipses be with him, it becomes a religion. When do for him eclipses be with him, it becomes a religion and it has all the form and none of the power and will kill everything around it. See, see it's, always, it's always been amazing to me that when Jesus walked this earth, the people who shouldn't like him love him and the people that should like him despise him. You notice that? And here's the thing, there's an extent to which that's still true. The, the, the people that don't know Jesus are actually deeply attracted to Jesus when they discover Jesus. Why? Because deep inside every single one of us, there is a God responder mechanism that he's placed in our heart and life when he made us. And whenever we come into contact with the real Jesus, our hearts are changed and our hearts are warmed and something connects with us because we were made to be changed. 
with Jesus. And the people that are religious misunderstand Jesus. Always. Why? Because he is the antithesis of religion. And so the scripture says this, notice with me. Jesus walks into the synagogue on the Sabbath and he spies a sick guy and it's a total setup. I mean, he's looking for it, they're looking for it, everyone's waiting for it, and it's a setup, I think, by God for us. He's setting this thing up so we might see what's going on. There's a man with a shriveled hand, and the religious guys are watching Jesus, and it's the Sabbath. And, and they're watching Jesus because they're waiting to accuse him, and Jesus uses this opportunity to pick a fight with religion. And he does it in public. He like, he like goes, this is my opportunity to say, this will kill you and will kill the God life in you. And he doesn't do it in, in, in silence or in secret. He could have done. He could have said to, the, could, to Peter, 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 go get the guy with the hand, you know, the one that's not working. And, and tap him on the shoulder and say, we'll go outside around the back when we've done the religious thing because the religious people will get all shirty about this and it's going to get weird and it's going to cause difficulty. No. And Peter would have done it, you know. <laughs> Peter, frequently wrong, never in doubt. Come here. What do you want me to do? You know, that's just Peter. But Jesus says, no. Stand up. Why? Because he's going to do something about the symptom, the hand, but he also wants to do something about the system, the religion and he's getting disruptive. See, religion leads to systemization and structure. It wants to take a living faith and it wants to create systems and structures around it. And it sets out to liberate people, but, but, but here's the thing, generations after generation and layer after layer after layer of doing and structuring and systematizing something actually kills the life it was designed to create. Here's a man with a problem. His hand is the problem. It should have excluded him from worship. Which is weird, isn't it? His hand was going to exclude him from worshipping the one who made his hand. His hand is going to exclude him from worshipping the one who can heal his hand. And it's only one hand. That's probably why he's there. Because you can hide one hand, can't you? In your pocket or in your dress thing that you would have worn. You just hide it and then you can shake hands with the, with the other hand and, 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 and no one would know. It's only one hand. That's why he's there. And, and it's only one thing for us. So much of the rest of what we do is great. And we can stuff our one thing in the pocket of our lives. Or we can hold it out and let Jesus disrupt us and deal with it. Because that one thing has the potential to suffocate the whole of your spiritual life because it became religion. And so, friends, you know, I love this church. Really love this church. I know you know that. It's a great church. But God is still wait waiting and wanting to disrupt some religious thinking to get us back to some Jesus living. So let's do some work on, 
on this. The first, the first thought for this morning is this. Jesus is wanting to disrupt passivity because it's a system that is disabling involvement and it creates consumers. And it's dead easy when you're in a church like this to be a consumer, isn't it? One of the reasons that we started to meet in the round was because I thought that if people were only five or six rows back and not 15 rows back, they couldn't play on their mobile phones. You had to, you had to be involved. And there is a system in religion that creates passivity when the call of God is to involvement. Jesus says, would you be with me that you might live like me? You see, people were used to religious leaders who were passive. They were either blenders or separators. The Pharisees were the separators, you know, you know this. They were Jews who had over 600 religious laws that kept them separate from people so that they would be pure. They were not like you. And they wanted you to know, I'm not like you. They were so religious, they separated themselves off in case they couldn't worship in, in, in the temple. And the, the blenders were the Herodians. They were the followers of Herod Antipas. If the Pharisees were being passive by removing themselves, the Herodians were being passive by blending in with everyone else. They, they weren't better than you. <laughs> they were just like you. They were no different from you. And the weird thing is this, the Pharisees and the Herodians, people who, who wouldn't want to be in the same room, find themselves in the same sentence in the Bible. Those who look like consumers and those who look like cultists come together to plot Jesus' death. Why? Because he's disrupting their religion and their comfort zone. Church, you, you know this because we've talked about it long enough. The way of Jesus is different. It's not cultish or consumerist. It's causal. It's always causal. And it means this, if we're trying to follow Jesus, you can't just live a quiet life, minding your own business and not get involved in everyone else's problems. You can't just hold on to your get out of hell free card and put your head down and come to church once a, a, a week and, and hope that one day Jesus is gonna call or come because it's really dark out there and difficult and not get involved in other people's lives and other people's struggles. We have to care about justice because God is just, right? We have to care about the environment because God is green, right? We have to care about people because God cares about people and loves people. We have to care about refugees because Jesus was one, right? We have to care about truth. Why? Because the young people that are being brought up today are, are being brought up in a perilous society with an outrageous equation being presented to them all the time. Here it is. Infinite choices, like infinite choices. You can choose anything. It's not just the, your, your choice of meal for an evening. or you, it, it, It's your choice of identity. It's your choice of sexuality. It's your choice of... You can choose absolutely anything. I'm not making a political statement about that, but I'm saying if constantly you have infinite choice and we can't talk about moral absolutes because we remove them off the, off the table, and you have radical individualism, no wonder the mental health statistics are off the charts. Because people are being stressed constantly with choice after choice after choice, and no one's giving them a framework for right or wrong, good or bad. 
And you, your decision is your decision, and I can't really speak into your decision because you're an individual. Friends, we have to say something that is graceful and truth. We can't just be a comfortable community where we say, feed me from the Bible, look after my children, and make sure my teenagers don't go off the rails. Because <laughs> that's sometimes what churches do, isn't it? We are the people that gather and scatter and hold uh, the truth of God out. We declare that there is a kingdom that is above and below and around every other earthly kingdom. It's more important. We, we are the people who, who, who share with one another who own nothing, who, who hold our things like this. We are the people who forgive quickly because we've been forgiven everything. We assume the best. We don't jump to the worst conclusions. We live open lives. We love people. We tell the truth. We are the people who've been disrupted and are willing to disrupt because we follow Jesus. That make sense? At least five of you think so. Here's the second thought. Jesus is wanting to disturb programs to prioritize people. I mean, there may be some sacred cows here. I hope this is really disturbing. Jesus is always doing people over programs. He always loves values over vehicles. Look, look at chapter 2 and verse 27. This is huge. I said this is huge, so you actually look at it. The principles of the Sabbath are central, but the practices of the Sabbath are flexible. Because Jesus says this, the Sabbath was made for humanity, not humanity for the Sabbath. And Jesus here is willing to break with tradition and upset feelings to heal a life. In other words, he's saying the laws were good, but they were set up for a reason. They were set up for a reason. The reason was I want people to know me. And now they're getting in the way of people knowing me and being free. And that's no good for me because I love people. God really loves people. You know that? All people. Broken people, of which, well, there are no other categories. Smart people. Politically correct people. He even loves politically correct people. Racist people. Do you know that? God, God really loves racist people. Straight people, gay people, God really loves them. God loves people. There, in fact, there is no category of people that God doesn't love. And in verse 4, look, of chapter 3, he is doing good and saving lives on the Sabbath. In other words, on the Sabbath, he's making people whole and he's freeing people up. That's what Jesus is always doing. And whenever he sees religion doing anything else, the scripture says it makes him mad. And, and here's my problem. Occasionally, and I know it's not true with us, but just say it was. Occasionally it looks like the church is doing the opposite to Jesus and is in danger of operating like a religion. Because in our hearts, I, I reckon if we went around these, these rows and we said, what, what should we be doing? We'd all come up with some kind of derivative of we want to save lives and, and, and do good. But people are so messy, aren't they? Isn't that true? 
People are just so messy and dirty and you can't control them. They don't come at the right time and so what do we do? We put on a course. Because it's easier to put on a course. And then we end up with a course for everything. And, and that's not bad, it's good, it's good impulse. And then we have this subtle proclivity to busy up people's lives, coming to events and doing courses. And then interestingly, we don't really have time for the people that God's put into our lives to really listen and find out what's really going on with, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to myself. Because courses are clean and people are messy people are really messy and very difficult in fact turn to the person next to you touch them and say very messy and really difficult <laughs> true yeah but here's the thing here's the thing According to the scriptures, people are more important than programs. And less is more. Less is more. And we are the people that if we're not careful, generation after generation of layers of people doing things for God. And the danger is this, we become the phenomenon trying to follow the phenomenon that is trying to follow the phenomenon that used to follow Jesus. Because we just built off the good things that somebody else did. And we forgot to dial back to the things that Jesus did. And somewhere we lost it. It's about people. And, and he just wants you to know that and to remind us that he sent his son to break some vehicles to get back to some values. And break some programs to get back to people. Because that's what he always does. Which just means, I don't know, I mean, I, I have no power over this going forward, but it just means the way that we meet and how we meet, and when we meet and what we do and how often, they are all open season. They're just vehicles. And if we start worshipping those things, we become part of the problem. Jesus is wanting to disturb some stuff. You see, they misunderstood the Sabbath. And we do too, don't we? The Sabbath was a gift from God for the flourishing of people. It wasn't a rule that you had to tick off. By Jesus' day, religion had created 39 categories of activity that you were forbidden to do on the Sabbath. And each category had a law in and of themselves. And it, it, it covered things like carrying anything, burning anything, writing anything, and all kinds of crafting. <laughs> you hipsters. You just couldn't do anything on the, on, the, on the Sabbath. And what it created was fear and restriction, guilt and shame and control. And so the Sabbath, which was given as a gift to bring life, had become something that was not a gift anymore. It was a curse for people. It's a gift for us. 
to put a pace in our life and a rhythm in our life and a recalibration in our life. It's, it's, to, it's to make us human, to remind us of who God is. It's not to restrict us and constrict us and condemn us and suck the life out of us and then to force everyone else into our pattern of behavior and force religion on them as well. Jesus is disturbing. I want to get rid of some stuff. Here's a final thought. Jesus is disturbing prejudice so his people can be witnesses. And if you notice the passage, the, the passage, the prejudice in the passage is not about skin color or gender or sexuality or any of the things that we would normally talk about when we talk about prejudice. There is prejudice in the synagogue in the Sabbath towards Jesus. What is prejudice? Well, I, I know in a very simple way that I would always do these things. Uh, let's just break the word down. It's pre-judge prejudice. In other words, prejudice is when you have decided beforehand um, about somebody or something else, that you've already decided how someone is going to react or how something is going to be, and you decide to articulate that or to live that or to behave in a certain way. Prejudice. Look at verse 2. They are looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. In other words, they've already decided beforehand what Jesus is and what he's all about. This is, this is big. Here's the problem with prejudice. If you prejudge, you have already decided beforehand what is going to happen. And then there is now no space for God to surprise you with his power and his grace. And unfortunately, the church is so judgy, isn't it? And we try not to be, and we should be the people that don't judge because we're the people who've been forgiven, we're the people who've been freed, but we've become so judgy. And here's the, th here's the reason why this is so fundamentally important for us. And if you miss everything else, get this. If you decide to take the place of judge, you cannot have a place as a witness. So important, let me say that again. In the court of law, if you decide that you're gonna be the judge, you cannot also be the witness. And the call on your life as a follower of Jesus is a call to witness to who he is, to witness to what he's done, to witness to the good things in his life, and not to try and judge everything around you. You can't be a witness because you're choosing to be a judge. And consequently, we miss out on the incredible opportunity to witness to a world that is in desperate need, that there is a God in heaven who loves people. There is a transformation that is possible. There is a different way of living in this world. And all the time we're sitting in judgment, we can't do that. Because we're sitting and then we're not walking. Isn't it easy to judge people? Not eyeballing anybody here. But isn't it? Isn't it just easy in the church even? With your friends? Well, the way they parent their children. Oof. Feral kids. I mean, you, we do. We, um, we don't necessarily articulate that, but we, don't we? Mm, the way they spend their money. Another holiday, eh? I mean, you've never done that, have you? You've never thought, we do this thing, don't we? We're always judging people for the choices they make, unaware of the reasons they make them, but we judge them quickly in our minds and hearts. And because we're sophisticated and most of us are kind of middle class E, it doesn't come out of our mouths, but it's in our hearts. And we're judging people. And we judge people in the, in the church generally, don't we? 
You know, those Presbyterians. So uptight. This is my last sermon ever, actually. <laughs> you know, those Baptists, they're just so wishy-washy. What do they even believe, really? Pentecostals. Whoop, whoop. Do you know? Hillsong. <laughs> T-shirts and smoke machines. Do you know, what, whatever it is, we've always got something. And, do you know, here's the thing. Nobody out there cares, apart from saying you're a bunch of saddos. And Jesus is grieved because we're all his bride and we're going to look very foolish when one day for the rest of our lives in glory we're living next to the people that we used to judge and we're missing out on what God wants to do because he wants you to be a witness and we've taken the place of God in the judgment seat and we make a very bad God. I am offended I am offended. I think they're the three most powerful words in our culture right now. I'm offended. And, and we're always offended. In our victim culture, we even get kudos for being offended. I am offended. Of course you flipping are. There are a hundred things in every given moment to be offended about. There are a hundred things to be offended about by things I do and say and the, the things that happen in this church and the ways in which we do things and what did happen or didn't happen and why it happened and shouldn't happen. There are a thousand things to be offended about. Of course, we're a broken people. Do you know what confirmation bias is? It's when you've already decided the verdict and then you start looking for evidence to back up your verdict. And here's the thing, you always find it. Don't you? You always find it. You always find what you're looking for. Nobody likes me. Nobody friends me. Nobody likes my tweets. Nobody's for me. When I go to a party, I'm in the corner. Nobody. Well, it's like prophecy, isn't it? Because nobody wants to hang out with a person that's always offended and nobody likes them. And you always find exactly, see what I said? See? See? I am offended. Guys, listen. <laughs> I wrote in my notes, stop being offended. Amen. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm not looking for a reason to be offended. I'm looking for a, a way to forgive. Isn't that like a better attitude? I'm just not looking for a reason to be offended. I'm not going to assume I know why you did something. I'm not going to assume you meant what in my worst moments I might think you, you meant. I'm just looking for a way to trust that you didn't. And I'm looking for a way to forgive. And this is so important. Can you imagine the power of the witness of this church if we were a people who did not take offense and this was a judgment-free zone? Now that would be different, wouldn't it? Wouldn't you suddenly shine like stars in the universe? Disturb yourself. Why is this important? Because prejudice and passivity and programs makes Jesus mad. Says the scripture, by the way. This is not just me making it up. It makes Jesus mad because it's killing life. The, the word mad in, in, this, in this passage of scripture is the word orgy, um, which means this. Interesting, there are two words for the word angry or the word mad, and Jesus chooses this one. Calculated, intentional, rational anger. 
In other words, this isn't just the hothead thing. He's not just got really angry at a certain moment because someone did something. Jesus has decided to be angry about this. Doesn't that make it stronger? I have decided to turn my anger towards this. I'm going to be angry. Guys, when the way we do church and the way we do life stops being good and freeing people, it's in danger of becoming evil and we need to sack it. Jesus says, I'm not doing it your way. So in God's house, on God's day, in God's name, I'm saving life. And he says, stretch out your hand, and the man was healed. And it defied religion, and it offended most of them. You love that? Defied religion and offended most of them. Jesus is wanting to heal people even today and so often we miss it so often we miss it because of our stuff he is more concerned with be with me than he is with do for me he appointed 12 that they might be with him and here's the thing if we were to prioritize be with him our lives will become simpler and more attractive. It's the being with him that makes us act like him. And it's a game changer. And so Jesus says this, come be with me. Let me disturb you. I'm not just useful. I'm beautiful. Because you're Doing for me is killing you. Oh, and by the way, it may also be killing lots of people around you at the same time. Stop it. Come be with me. Let me shift you from the place of judgment to the place of witness because you've been trying to do my job for me and you make a really bad God. Come be with me because you've been hiding when I've called you to shine and consequently you're missing out on life. Disrupt yourself. Jesus says this, are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Let's pray. And once again, there will have been plenty of stuff in there that was just me getting it wrong. But we've learned when we open the scriptures to know that God also speaks powerfully and truthfully into our lives. So God, we invite you to do the sifting. And the disturbing. And the confirming.
And there are some of us that just need to respond to the invitation to be with Jesus because that's missing. And we're doing some of the right stuff, but it's, it's just missing. And some of us have been running around so fast doing stuff for Jesus for good reason, because we love him, but we forgot that it's the doing things with Jesus that causes the overflow to be like him. And he's inviting you just back into that relationship. And, and most of us have found ourselves many times, maybe even this week, in the place of judgment, assuming we understand and know and assuming it's right for us to take that place. And we've abdicated the opportunity to be, to be in the place of witness. And here is an opportunity just to repent. Say, God, I want, I want to serve your purposes. And declare in the way that I live your narrative. And others of us have just been hiding consuming the stuff of God and not getting involved in the plans of God and the spirit of God is a disturbing spirit a disrupting spirit and that's exactly what he's doing right now so let him come do his work amongst us Amen